0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, a AM member FDIC. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to this presentation on enhancing motivation for change. I'm your host, Dr. Donnalise Snipes. This presentation is based in part on SAMHSA Tip 35, which you can find at store.samhsa.gov. Over the next hour, you're going to learn about the nature of change, explore the different stages of readiness for change and how to figure out what stage people are in we'll learn about goals and interventions for each stage of readiness for change and explore ways to identify barriers and expectations regarding recovery or change and how to use that to enhance motivation let's first talk a little bit about trauma and change though behavior whatever behaviors the person is currently using often represent the best way they have to survive right now they're using the best tool they have in their toolbox additionally change requires stopping the old behavior and starting a new one so if you have a person who's using this tool in order to survive and it may not be the best tool but it's the only one they have and then you say well you've got to stop using that well then what other tool are they going to use instead to help them survive we just can't take away one without first helping them develop another one many people who struggle with emotional distress stress related health issues addiction or relationship problems have experienced trauma trauma by its very nature strips a person of a sense of safety and empowerment so when we're enhancing motivation we must pay special attention to supporting the person's sense of safety and empowerment a lot of times when we try to enhance motivation if we're too aggressive then we can make the person feel like they're being pushed into doing something which takes away their sense of safety and empowerment now change is constant it happens constantly in the natural environment we have plants that grow plants that age plants that die we have it among people not only do we change physically we change psychologically we change in our relationships we change our behaviors there is constantly change going on change occurs whether we want it to or not without professional intervention now professional intervention can help expedite change in the positive direction but ultimately things are going to change nothing is going to stay static recurrence of at least some symptoms or old behaviors is a normal event and many clients cycle through the different stages of change several times before achieving stable recovery we want to recognize this so if a person is entering treatment you know that often means that they are at least in the uh, contemplation stage of change if not the action stage which is great and we'll talk about those different stages in a minute so they enter treatment they're ready to get going but as they start working through treatment as they start doing the work that they need to it can be terrifying it can be exhausting or they can run into barriers that they didn't anticipate and they may drop back to an earlier level of readiness where they say you know what maybe it wasn't that big of a problem it's important for us to recognize that that is entirely normal and part of it as I mentioned may be because the person didn't anticipate certain challenges or barriers and part of it may be that they went too fast or we didn't help them develop the skills and tools they needed to replace the old behaviors to move towards that rich and meaningful life there are six basic stages in the process of change pre-contemplation contemplation preparation action maintenance and sometimes recurrence now I want you to think about this in terms of getting into a pool in the summer when you first go out you're laying on the pool deck and it's warm but it doesn't it's not a problem you're not sweating you're not uncomfortable you don't see a need to get into the pool or to move into the shade you're perfectly fine in behaviors like addiction recovery depression recovery the person who is in pre-contemplation doesn't see a problem they don't recognize that they could feel better contemplation they start recognizing that there's a problem so back to that pool deck if the person is laying out there sunbathing they start to move into contemplation when they start getting hot they're like oh I'm starting to sweat I might think about maybe moving but not yet I'm not prepared to take any steps I just recognize I'm starting to get uncomfortable in terms of recovery contemplation the person recognizes well there might be a problem but they're not ready to do anything yet because change is scary change is hard change can be overwhelming and they may not even see what options they have for change preparation is when they're getting prepared to start to do something back to the pool so the person is hot they're starting to sweat they're getting uncomfortable now they start thinking well do I want to just go over and sit in the shade or do I want to get into the pool and so they go over to the side of the pool but they know that water is really cold and you know it's it's challenging to get into a cold pool so maybe they dip their toe in a little bit they're testing the waters to see is this something I'm really wanting to do right now in recovery we see the same thing in preparation the person will start talking about how life might be different they may start trying to do things that are characteristic of a new way of reacting or a new lifestyle so they're starting to dabble and try a few things they're exploring what options are out there but they haven't really started making major changes yet action is when the person says I'm tired of this I don't like feeling this way anymore and I'm going to do something so at the pool the person gets in the water in recovery the person enters treatment starts uh, participating in self-help groups starts reading self-help books they start doing something actively to change their situation change their behaviors whatever's going on that's causing the distress maintenance is the next phase and going back to the pool you know the person will swim for a while and they'll, then they'll get out and when they start feeling warm again they may get back in the pool the goal is to maintain a comfortable body temperature for the person in recovery maintenance means maintaining a comfortable and relatively happy lifestyle this is a lot easier said than done so maintenance means implementing all of these new strategies and behaviors and everything that's been learned which is great but it it is exhausting and people will often start losing some of their motivation to do everything in their new lifestyle plan which leads them potentially to recurrence now it doesn't mean they will have a full-out relapse but it could mean that they start having uh, negative thinking patterns like they used to have or they start um, staying up all night playing video games like they used to do or doing something else things that we know behaviors that we know are associated with the prior distress the hope is that the person and or their support systems are able to identify the recurrence of these problematic thoughts feelings or behaviors early when it's only one or two things and address them before the person falls back into the full lifestyle that was causing them distress people typically vacillate between the stages and cycle through the stages at different rates and it's important to recognize this Uh, people individuals within themselves will go through some stages faster than others additionally if you've got three people entering treatment not everybody is going to move through the stages at the same rate so it's important to recognize when I was facilitating uh, residential treatment we would have people come into treatment who were at all different stages and some would be in action and then within two or three days it would start to get too uncomfortable and they drop back into contemplation or even pre-contemplation whereas others may stay in the action phase for longer when you're working with of different people you have to regularly assess their level of readiness for change on any given day and it can change that quickly many people are ambivalent about change it's hard one of my mentors used to say change causes crisis and crisis causes change and that is so true ambivalence is expressed in many ways the person may argue They may challenge you or discount your statements this is the yes but where you may make suggestions and well yes i could do that but they may interrupt take over or cut off the conversation you are trying to pursue a uh, exploration of something and they just say i want to go a different direction with this they may deny, blame, disagree, excuse or minimize the their behavior or the impact of their behavior. Or they may just ignore you altogether. They may not respond or may not pay attention. They may just kind of be sitting there. This is especially true in group therapy. It's a lot harder to ignore an individual. In individual therapy, ignoring is when the person shows up late or fails to show up for appointments at all now we want to recognize that ambivalence or sometimes people will call it resistance is a manifestation of fear for most people you have um people who are have been doing the same thing for a long time to try to survive and they're not sure how to change so let's start talking about pre-contemplation in pre-contemplation the client is unaware unable or unwilling to change now going back to that pool we talked about they were unaware of the problem um they weren't feeling um, discomfort at that point in time that's the unaware part but pre-contemplation can also be unable or unwilling to change maybe the person for whatever reason couldn't get up and get in the pool maybe they had an infant they had to watch and so they couldn't just get up and get in the pool and leave the infant sitting there Um, or they were unwilling because you know that pool was awful daggum cold either way in recovery we see people who uh, are unaware and we can erase their awareness we also see people who've tried before and they've failed or they've relapsed so they're afraid to try again we also see people who are aware of the problem but they are overwhelmed by the thought of change they just can't imagine doing it and we see people who can't see how to change they don't can't even conceptualize how to make that change so they feel stuck so that that's kind of where our unaware unable or unwilling is people are likely to be wary of counselors and treatment because a lot of times people are sent to a counselor and they're told or they start seeing a counselor and they believe that the counselor is just going to quote fix them and it's important for us to recognize and uh, that fixing them is all can also be scary and disempowering and if they've experienced trauma we need to make sure that they feel like they are equal partners in this change relationship we want to make sure to respect the client respect their boundaries respect their goals for treatment and keep the interview as informal as possible if we go in there and try to act all super smart and like we're know-it-alls which we aren't um, that again can make the client feel disempowered and unsafe because they're afraid you're going to take their power establish rapport is one of the first things that we can do in with people who are in pre-contemplation just because they are unaware unwilling or unable to change uh, doesn't mean that it's all for none and people who present who are in pre-contemplation are often being sent by somebody else it's not necessarily involuntary but they're getting external pressure to enter treatment that's okay however external pressure to enter treatment what is that that is a um removal if you will of some of their personal power they feel like they're being told what to do so they may be very anxious and they may um, be very scared about what's going to happen because they're already getting pressure from somebody else over here so establish rapport explore the meaning of the events that brought the person into treatment what brought you here and why is this important maybe your your significant other told you that you had to see a counselor at least three times in order to start you know feeling better you know what does that mean to you that that person wanted you um and and put this edict down that you had to seek treatment elicit the client's perceptions of the problem you know why is it uh that you're here you know let's say a person's depressed and their significant other said you're really depressed I'm scared for your well-being you need to go see a counselor and so we want to talk to the client what is your perception of the problem are you in danger tell me about this depression explore the results of previous treatments there is no sense repeating something that hasn't worked in the past so let's talk about different things and it can be formal treatment self-help informal treatment or even if their family members have the same diagnosis treatments that family members have gone through that have either helped or not helped let's look at that because that can help us figure out what might help us where can we start and it will help the person feel heard and not feel like oh I'm going to have to go through all this useless stuff all over again before I get to anything that might work offer factual information about the risks and pros and cons of current behavior now when we're talking about addiction there are a lot of risks when we're talking about mood disorders for example we want to talk about the pros and cons of change we want to talk about what it feels like to feel depressed and any fears about moving towards recovery and a lot of people who are clinically depressed they don't want to feel that way anymore it's overwhelming but especially if they've had remissions before they also may be afraid of a depression relapse so they may be stuck in this limbo land where they want to get better but they're also afraid to at the same time provide personalized feedback about the assessment and it's really important to help them understand you know we talked about all these different things in the assessment why did I ask you all these questions what does that tell me might be going on Uh, when I work with people with depression um, I do a really comprehensive biopsychosocial assessment and I talk about any different areas from sleep apnea to poor nutrition to um, autoimmune issues to cognitions to trauma to uh, you know poor poor sleep that may be contributing to their particular symptoms and i say okay these are the potential causes and one or more of these things may be contributing to your symptoms what do you think raise doubts about their current behaviors and this really goes back to saying basically what are you doing and how's it working for you Um, if they are in pre-contemplation they're saying you know what I don't need you you know I'm even if I am aware I've got a problem I, I may not be willing to change so we want to start raising doubts about you know is what you're doing now helping you live the kind of life that you could and that you want Exra- examine discrepancies between the clients and others perceptions of the problem behavior we already talked about the client's perception then you may start saying okay this is your perception of your depression or your addiction and this is tell me about what you think your significant other's perception is and then compare and contrast why do you think that they think it's that much more severe than you do or what is contributing to their uh, desire for you to enter treatment why do you think they think it's so important for you to enter treatment explore reasons for unwillingness to change you know what is it that you think um may or may not happen and a lot of times when i've worked with people they've said i just don't see the point i don't see how talk therapy can help me i don't see how what we're going to do here is going to help me and that's where we can educate people about the variety of different interventions that are available and how as clinicians we are not fixing them but we may be able to serve as um, guides or catalysts to help them identify things that would work for them more effectively and we can help them do that faster than they would on their own sometimes during the pre-contemplation period uh, a clinician can help a significant other intervene Regardless, after the session, we want to express concern for the person and keep the door open, not saying, okay, so we've talked for a while. When when do you want to schedule your next appointment? Uh, in pre-contemplation, they're still not necessarily ready or willing to change. So you may say, Would you like to schedule another appointment? Uh, and if they say no, that's fine. Letting them know that whenever they're ready, to start making a change you're more than happy to help them with it the next phase is contemplation the client is ambivalent or uncertain but considering the possibility of change they've recognized there's a problem now at this stage the counselor can discuss and weigh the pros and cons of change and in tip 35 this is called a decisional balance exercise and what you look at and it It's hard to do sometimes or hard to conceptualize so I encourage you to write it out but you want to look at what are the pros and cons of change yeah there are drawbacks to change and we want to help people minimize any of their anxieties or perceived drawbacks of change because we want to make change as rewarding as possible and then you want to look at the pros and cons of staying the same and yeah they probably have highlighted some of the cons of staying the same which is why they're there but the pros you know really asking them what did this behavior what did this situation do for you and in what ways might it be benefiting you or in one way in what ways might it be protecting you emphasize the client's free choice and responsibility we're not going to make them do anything now if you're working with somebody who is court ordered you know it's really um, important to navigate that boundary the court says this has to happen let's talk about how we can make that work the best for you and elicit self-motivational statements the i think i can or i'm willing to try that's all I'm looking for right now not the yeah this is going to work just maybe I'd consider doing this great we want to reassure the person that no one can force them to change and that they are in charge now the court can force them to go to group the court can force them to do certain things um so if you're working with a court ordered client they can force them to jump through particular hoops but the court cannot force them to change it is up to them they are individuals with the ability to choose and helping the person see that they're in charge and empower them to define what they what they want in the future i used to work in uh, felony probation and parole and a lot of the people were court ordered and they would have to do 10 weeks of group and instead of putting them in this group where we went over this same curriculum every time i would work with the, the clients and i'd say what is it since you've got to be in group with me that's part of your uh probation what is it that you would like to accomplish And how can we work on that together Uh, what is it that you would like to talk about when we are in session and instead of just sitting up there spouting at them pharmacology and all that kind of stuff by working on some of their other issues like communication and job skills and self-esteem and those things uh, i was helping them feel safer and more empowered and reduce some of the anxiety and distress that they may have been self-medicating with their addiction ask questions that prompt motivation for example when you want to keep up your motivation for doing something what are some of the things that you say to yourself if you're out on a run and you want to do two more miles what do you say to yourself if you are doing something else how do you keep your motivation up help the person recognize problems contributing to the current situation help them by acknowledging uh, their concern you know they, they will look at the current situation and they may recognize that okay I am experiencing depression let's talk about what's contributing to that experience of depression what's quote making me feel depressed and acknowledge concern for the person you know it's got to be really difficult to be in that position generate intention to change and by doing this we are saying all right I hear what you've said about the things that are contributing to your depression or your addiction Um, let's talk about what are some very specific concrete behaviors and activities that you can do that will help you change and let me help you understand why those things can help you change help the client develop optimism instead of thinking this will never work or i'm a failure i'm useless we want to use positive psychology we want to help them address that negative inner critic a lot of people have this inner critic that's telling them they they they're a failure they've always been a failure they will always be a failure or they don't deserve to be happy so we need to address that inner critic and help the person develop optimism we want to convey feedback and help people see a difference between what life is like when they're symptomatic and what life is like when they're not symptomatic and a lot of people have a time that they can remember when they were asymptomatic or less symptomatic so you can compare and contrast and we can say what was the difference when you had fewer symptoms or no symptoms what was the difference in how your behaviors your eating your sleeping your relationships all that stuff what was different then than what's going on now so they can start to see the difference not only in how they felt but what they were doing then show curiosity about clients strengths and explore how those skills may be negated by their current state so if somebody is phenomenally creative or you know does great work at their job or is an amazingly compassionate parent you know wonderful so how are those skills how are those talents negated because of their oppressive depression or their substance use or whatever their diagnosis is help them reframe negative statements in contemplation they recognize there's a problem but change is just still way overwhelming so we want to help them re- reframe negative statements like I'll have to change my whole life or there's no way I can make all of the changes necessary reframe it break it down for example into smaller behaviors we're not talking about changing everything in your life let's talk about addressing this one cognitive distortion you know can you do that you know can you make this one step this week and by providing um, micro goals and micro successes each week the person comes back and we can say wow look at the progress that you've made highlight the reasons for change by summarizing not only their concerns but also their significant others concerns explore the specific pros and cons of change now it's important to remember that change is not global you know when we say people are going to um, go into recovery for addiction or go into treatment for depression that involves a lot of different lifestyle changes cognitive changes and their readiness for change for each one of those things can be very different they may be more than happy to start talking about and addressing their cognitive distortions but they may not be ready to start changing their eating habits and their sleeping habits and giving up staying all night staying up all night playing video games okay you know we can cross those bridges later any goal contributing factor to your current condition that you're willing to work on let's highlight and enhance that readiness for change encourage the client to explain the benefits of change you know why is it that you are choosing to address these cognitive distortions or to address your sleep habits why is it you're choosing to address this behavior now by articulating that by having to say it themselves then they're hearing themselves say it and reinforcing it assure the person that conflicting feelings are normal which goes back to that decisional balance exercise there's pros and cons to everything there's pros and cons to exercise there's pros and cons to um, staying in relationships there's pros and cons to everything review feedback from the assessment if you're still early in the process find out what the person expects from treatment if they're in contemplation they recognize there's a problem and this is when we can open the door and demystify what may happen when they enter treatment so they can feel more empowered so they can feel safer it's not this ambiguous you know area that they're just blindly walking into and help the person connect core values to committing to treatment what are their core values um compassion love um whatever those core values are you know how will it improve their relationships how will it improve their work how will it improve how they feel about themselves when they move into a place where they feel like they're in recovery strengthen the client's personal choices nudge them to start making positive choices reminding them that nobody can decide what to do for them nobody can make them do anything there can be consequences if they don't do something but nobody can make them do it and then encourage them to make those positive choices again remembering to break it down into very very small manageable goals not addressing all your cognitive distortions maybe looking at one not doing 17 things this week but what's one thing what is one positive change the person can make this week help the person set goals and take steps one client I worked with uh, was an involuntary client and substance abuser on probation and had uh, was at that point not using and he had no desire to be clean and sober forever but he did want to get off probation he wanted to get off papers so we looked at it from that perspective instead of me trying to convince him why he needed to get sober we talked about okay how can we work together to help you get off papers because that was six months down the line and during that six months he would be able to work on a lot of things and then at the end of that he was able to choose whether he went back to illegal behaviors or whether he stayed the current path particular goals we set I remember one week I said what is an environment or what is a situation in which you know you will not use and he said I don't use around my kids and so he decided that that week after dinner he was going to start taking the kids out to go play basketball um, in the evening after dinner and that would take away several hours Um, by the time they went out played came back got showered and all that stuff that would take away several hours where he was tempted to use so that was one strategy but that one strategy had multiple effects when he came back the next week we started talking about how it worked and not only did it help with his cravings but it also started helping with his relationship with his kid remind the person of triggers including negative emotions like anger anxiety guilt social pressures from peers or significant others physical concerns like headaches or stomach aches or the need to stay awake when you're exhausted and extended withdrawal symptoms that may trigger them to either use if we're talking about addiction or they may trigger the other symptoms like depression or anxiety ask the person what do you think has to change what are you going to do how are you going to do it what are some benefits of making the change and how would you like things to turn out in an ideal situation you know those are very practical questions that put the person in the driver's seat instead of us telling them what they're going to do we're asking them what's your perception and what are you going to do how can I support you in preparation the person starts asking questions and indicates a willingness to consider options to make specific changes they start saying you know well I'm depressed and I'm not sleeping well I'm wondering you know what things could I do that might help me sleep a little bit better they're not saying how can I cure my depression but they're starting to recognize certain symptoms or behaviors or problems and they're starting to ask questions about well how might I start addressing this again we're going to explore the treatment expectancies and the person's role in that what are you expecting your clinician to do what are you expecting me as your counselor to do what is your responsibility in this and how can we work together how can I support you I'm not doing it for you how can I support you in this process elicit from the person what has worked in the past either for them or for other people that they know like i said some people haven't ever been in treatment before so they don't know what works so we want to look around has has a family member or a friend ever dealt with a similar situation and what worked for them or what do you think might work for you during this phase the person shifts from thinking about it to planning the first steps it's really important to offer to help but don't yank the person forward We're person starting to express interest and they're thinking like maybe so say all right so let me give you all of these options and when you're ready I will help you start taking those steps you tell me when you're ready once they start really showing some interest towards the end of the preparation phase we're going to help them get ready by negotiating a plan what is it that you want to do let's look at what the steps might be Uh, what options are out there let's develop a contract for making these things happen what are you going to do each week identify and lower barriers and we're going to talk about barriers a little bit more um, in a few minutes enlist social support with permission offer advice we don't want to just be randomly telling people what they quote should do because that will shut people down. That's taking their power away and pushing things on them. So we do want to make sure to ask, you know, would you like me to give you some suggestions? Assist the person in negotiating finances, childcare, work, transportation, or other potential barriers for somebody who works an hourly job or for somebody who doesn't have a lot of leave time going to treatment may be really difficult to figure out when to do it because they work eight to five and your clinics open from eight to five so when is it that they can get there so we want to help help them figure out how are they going to be able to access services how are they going to be able to afford services what are they going to do with their kids while they're in services if they're seeing um the person uh, you know when when the kids aren't in school or if they are full-time caregivers what are they going to do with the kids because child care can get really expensive when you consider travel time to the appointment the appointment travel time home after the appointment and have the person publicly announce plans to somebody have them make a commitment not only to you but to somebody else who can be supportive of them outside of the therapy session the person really starts indicating readiness when they stop arguing interrupting denying they stop asking questions about how to change they um they start asking questions not stops they start asking questions about how to change instead of asking questions about the problem instead of trying to determine well do I really have a problem or how can I get around this they start asking what can I do to change how can I start feeling better they start saying things like I must do something or expressing optimism with statements like I can beat this I can do this They start talking about how life will be better once they start changing and they may even be willing to experiment between sessions they may come back and say hey doc last week i tried meditating or i tried yoga and this is how it worked for me a lot of times people have explored a lot in terms of self-help before they come to treatment and anything that they're trying shows a motivation a desire to start feeling better so then we start asking how did that work for you that is so awesome that you tried to take a a step forward in terms of barriers we want to ask people what's gone wrong in the past when you've thought about trying to change or you've tried to change what went wrong find out if they currently anticipate problems for example if they're recovering from substance abuse and they're living with another substance abuser that could be a problem Um, or if they're working in a job where they're exposed to substances a lot that could be a problem Uh, so we want to find out what problems they do anticipate sources of barriers may include physical health issues if they have a lot of chronic pain for example they may be on certain medications that contribute to fatigue and lethargy or they may be on certain medications that are are addictive in nature Uh, affective dysregulation or dysphoria so this is guilt anger denial depression guilt anger uh depression grief all of those things um can be and I guess denial too um can be a barrier to treatment because if people start feeling overwhelmed they start feeling anxious or angry then they're in the fight-or-flight mode and the urge when people are feeling threatened and they're in that fight-or-flight mode is to make it stop and so that can cause people to drop back into old behaviors that have worked before Um, depression often represents a feeling of exhaustion or hopelessness and helplessness and this can really undermine um motivation when doing treatment causes more emotional distress then it can really inhibit motivation so we want to look at that treatment sometimes will cause emotional distress when people start processing grief or trauma issues or that kind of stuff so we want to make sure that people have the skills and tools to deal with that before we go there Um, we also want to make sure that they are aware that if they start to feel overwhelmed or too unhappy uh, that they can set the pace and we're not going to have them push through it we want to make sure again trauma informed that they know that they're safe and they're empowered and we will not push them into a situation where they feel too much emotional distress cognitively literacy issues can be barriers especially if you're dealing with a program that has a lot of worksheets or reading assignments people's cognitive capacity are they able to focus when people are significantly grieving when they're significantly depressed or anxious um, it impacts their ability to think clearly their ability to maintain attention and concentration and make decisions so we want to recognize that and not expect somebody to be having be on their a game if they're presenting with clinical anything depression anxiety PTSD addiction environmentally some barriers can include bureaucracy there may be waiting lists to get into treatment so what can you do while you wait Uh, there may be paperwork or legal issues that need to be overcome before the person can enter treatment how can we help them get through those things they may worry about finances how are they going to pay for treatment or how are they going to pay for um their life while they're in treatment in residential that's a huge issue but even an outpatient the hours that a person misses from work they may not get paid for plus all of the extra expenses of treatment they may not be sure how they're gonna make ends meet if they enter treatment and dependent care mentioned that before who is going to care for the children while you're in treatment whether that's for an hour a week or for 30 days who's going to care for your pets while you're in treatment if you're going to be in in residential treatment those are all things that we want to consider and family relations in families families like to maintain homeostasis and a lot of times when a person enters treatment they are the identified patient the family wants to say you're the problem not us nothing wrong with us and we know that in most situations that's not true in most situations there is some dysfunction within the family as well as the individual it's not just this identified patient so an unsupportive family maybe they don't think the person needs treatment or they're not supportive of what the person needs to do for treatment or they don't see their part in it and are are not willing to work on their stuff and sometimes families will flat out sabotage treatment because they are um, dealing with their own stuff so much that when that person starts to get better it starts making their stuff show up and they don't like seeing that so they end up sabotaging the person's recovery so everything goes back to quote normal in the action phase the client takes steps towards change but is still unstable we want to negotiate an action plan you know what is it that you really want to do now and action is often when people are entering treatment voluntarily acknowledge difficulties and risky situations and support their attempts to cope with those things they're not going to be a hundred percent on target every time but we want to acknowledge the fact that they tried and then figure out all right you tried to do it but it didn't work a hundred percent of the time how can we help you strengthen that tool how can we help you be more successful let's look at what needs to um what we need to develop help people find new reinforcers what is it that makes them happy what is it that they enjoy doing support perseverance and sticking to the plan remembering that motivation can wax and wane so they need to go back and review those decisional balance exercises the pros and cons of change the pros and cons of staying the same and figure out what might be waning and how to address that so they can get motivated again if relapse occurs now remember this is emotional or um, substances back up and apply techniques from an earlier stage instead of continuing to push on through and say well you'll get back on the horse Uh, we want to back up and say all right what did we miss here and how can we make sure that you have the tools and resources necessary to deal with the distress and the challenges that come with treatment in the action phase engage the client in treatment and reinforce the importance of remaining in recovery support change through small steps and acknowledge difficulties especially in the early stages of change help people identify high risk situations and develop appropriate coping strategies so if you're working with somebody who has a lot of anxiety helping them identify high risk situations and how they can cope if you're working with somebody who's dealing with depression what things what are high risk situations that might trigger their depression or their grief and how can they cope help the person assess levels of social support and resolve barriers to treatment and this is something that is helpful to review at every single session ask people what helped you this week what worked this week and what challenges did you face and address those challenges every week explore past experiences hopes and fears regarding confrontation and judgment from peers in the program from Uh, significant others from work uh, what interactions with other people and even from other clinicians what interactions with other people may be causing fears or inspiring hope in terms of past experiences and treatment what were the costs in terms of money or behavior now money's pretty obvious how much did it cost you um but also in behaviors what things did you have to give up that you like doing and let's talk about alternate ways of you know meeting that same need or alternate ways of enjoying life talk about hopes and fears regarding family involvement shame and guilt medications the person may have to withdraw from or take you know some people can be very hopeful that medication will help them and very fearful that they may have to withdraw from certain medications explore their thoughts about how rigorous and how rigid the treatment program is recognizing that life changes and help them understand that there is some wiggle room so to speak in treatment and will address things if things need to be altered a little bit um we can address those on a weekly basis help the person see the value of both internal and external motivating factors physically how will this change help you feel better have more energy be healthier affectively how will this change help you feel happier cognitively how will this change how will recovery help you think more clearly and how are the things that you're getting ready to do logical to help you achieve your goals environmentally how will this change improve your environment improve the tension or the whatever you want to call it where they live improve their um, ability to function at work and how good they feel when they're at work and how will it improve their relationship not only with others but also with themselves suggest to the person that external coercions are compatible with their best interest so recognizing the significant other that says you need to go to treatment uh, is that's an external coercion that's a relational motivating factor but that person may have the client's best interest at heart they may be concerned about their safety remember that non-compliant behavior is often a thinly veiled expression of dissatisfaction with treatment or the therapeutic process it could be you if somebody is being non-compliant or resistant you may be being too pushy you may be causing them to feel threatened you may be missing something think about what are the benefits to the client's current behavior and why are they not doing what you want them to in maintenance the client has met their initial goals made changes in their lifestyle and now practices coping strategy so we want to support and affirm their changes rehearse new coping strategies review their goals and keep in contact in this stage we want people to keep on keeping on we want to remind them about new tools to maintain and reinforce recovery, such as a detailed review of their action plan, uh, r- mindfulness of risky situations, coping strategies for each situation, participation in support groups, and pursuit of activities that promote relaxation and happiness. Motivational approaches can be very useful for people it's a means of rapid engagement in the general medical setting to facilitate referral to treatment it can be a first session to increase the likelihood that a client will return and to deliver useful service if the person doesn't return it can be an empowering brief consultation when a person is put on a waiting list rather than just telling them to wait for treatment we can help them start getting excited about the potential for change and the potential for feeling better there's often a relatively short period of time to make a beneficial impact on the client the average length of stay in substance abuse treatment is very short if clinicians do not make an impact in the first session or two with people they may not be able to make an impact at all make the best use of your first contact it's usually a big mistake to start out by filling out forms establish rapport then move on to the administrative even one session can make a positive impact on a person lasting change takes time and effort all people have the ability to make positive choices and positive changes people will be at different stages of readiness for change for different issues and symptoms may vacillate between conflicting goals people with low motivation may begin arguing ignoring or becoming apathetic sometimes enhancing motivation means focusing first on barriers to recovery instead of the problem itself let's clear the way so then when you're ready you can just move on through explore expectations regarding recovery to enhance motivation and develop a relapse prevention plan that helps people identify triggers and vulnerabilities and ways to prevent and address them.